cleverly, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Friday, the 26th of March, 2021, and it is time, donks, for Morning Combat. Hello, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm from Showtime, CBS Sports, and a bunch of other places. I am joined not by BC, thank Christ, for once in this merciful world. We are joined, actually, by a UFC Hall of Famer, a man you know from Morning Combat and from his, I don't know, time on The Ultimate Fighter, from winning titles in the UFC, and a whole lot else. It's Sugar Rashad Evans. Hi, Mr. Evans. How are you? Mr. Luke Thomas. How you doing, man? It's been a long time. Happy to see you. Happy to be on the show. Happy to talk to you as well, in part because today we're going to talk about a lot of different things, UFC 260 being one of them. What do you make of, uh, I've never asked you this, Sean O'Malley also has the Sugar nickname, and you were kind of like the first, not Sugar, but like Sugar, right? Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, you drop the A, you drop the R at the end, just make it Sugar. It makes it a little bit more sweeter, you know? Uh, well, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. First things first, with the order of, are you in South Florida? Why do you have like anatomy things on the background? <laughs> I'm on the road right now. I'm on. I'm in Indiana. I'm doing like a seminar out here, so I just had to uh, find a place to get in and uh, you know chat with you guys, catch up. Always all hustling. I appreciate that. How was it, Indianapolis? To. I promise we're going to get started. <laughs> How was it? Yeah. Well, I didn't. Well, I just got in. Actually, I'm in South Bend area, so I didn't get uh. the. Uh, yeah, if you ever been to South Bend, it's pretty much the sticks. It's kind of like black and white out here compared to uh, compared to Florida, where there's just so much color and so much vibrance with all all the live and all the live grow. But uh, here it's just it's pretty much winter still. But uh, I'm not complaining. All right. Well, we'll uh, on that note, let's uh, make sure the folks know if you want to try Showtime, you certainly can. You can go to Showtime.com and get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, pound sand. And, of course, if you sign up within the next – you see this URL here, show.com slash MMA. Your first six months will be for $4.99. Um, let's see. Uh, if you want to get some MK merch – got to get Rashad some MK merch, by the way, folks. Uh, you can go to show – no, excuse me, store.show.com. You can get tumblers, hats, shirts, mugs, the whole nine yards, and um, I think that's about it. Video, thumbs up, hit subscribe. Rashad, you ready to do this? Let's do it. Let's get into it. All right, let's start. Oh, yeah, you can follow us and subscribe to us and like us all there on social media, all the good stuff. Okay, topic number one, UFC 260 is tomorrow, a bevy of fights to break down. So let's start with the main event, Stipe Miocic fighting for the second time Francis Ngannou, the first time in three years. This, of course, will be for the UFC Heavyweight Championship. Let me open the discussion this way with you, Rashad. Um, do you believe that Francis has improved enough since the last fight for this fight to be different? Yes, I definitely think he has improved enough. You know, um, I actually trained with Francis a little bit in the in-between time and um, got a chance to grapple with him. And it was actually uh, pretty pretty um, interesting because, you know, before when I would see him do his grappling, he didn't seem to have the awareness with the hips. And that's how you can tell, like, if a guy can grapple is where does he position on hips once he's on his, once he's on his back. And, um, you know, right away from, you know, when we, when we started grappling, I felt like him moving his, uh, his hips really well and just, you know, being really, really calm in the exchanges and finding a way to get back up to his feet and, and most for the most part even neutralize my position 
Um, of course, I'm not as big as a, a heavyweight for the most part, but I mean, just the technical aspect, knowing what to do from one point to the next point to the next point. And that was something that he was missing greatly when he fought Stipe the first time, just knowing how to go step by step by step and get back up. And it looks to be now that he has an understanding of that pretty well. So the interesting part about this is I, I, I did my live chat on the channel here yesterday and somebody brought up, it's like, okay, Kane went down because he got punched and he had a knee injury when he fought Francis, but also Francis fought off enough of the takedown early to show you that maybe some things were a little bit different when he was pressed up against the fence or near the fence line with Kane. And I'm willing to admit that, but then you go back to the Rosenstrike fight, which is the last one. Now, Rashad, it's 18 seconds. What can you really say? I don't know. But the thing that's funny about it is if you go back and you watch the combination that he threw, A, I talked to his coaches. That was not the combination they had worked on. And B, it was kind of wild and reckless. And it's like, it still worked because Francis has just dumb power. But there's a part of me that's like, okay, I'm sure he's been training hard and I'm sure he's got these new skills. But when the pressure cooker gets turned on and if he's feeling it, how second nature is that stuff? I do seem to have a question about that. Is that fair or unfair? No, that's, that's very fair. You know, um, one thing that I look at and I've, and I've been watching, you know, like you said, it's all what you do in second, what comes, you know, what comes to you first. And the only way you're going to really bleed that out of your, your instincts to be able just to go for what you know, which is a stand up in France's case, is just by just completely just inundating himself with just grappling exchanges. And he's been doing a lot of that. He's been having a Lear Latifi come out and help him out and stuff like that. And just pretty much just engage in a lot of grappling exchanges that's been able to help him out. Just really just build the grit that it takes for wrestling, you know, because it's not so much about the one shot taking you down, the one shot attempt, I should say, taking you down. It's the chain wrestling, especially in a guy like Stipe Miocic, who can put together a few different uh, takedown combinations together to really keep a guy like Francis, who's not so uh, wrestling um, based, uh, put him in some trouble by just being able to string a couple of them to, uh, down together. You know, you may be able to stop the single, but can you stop it in conjunction with the double? And if you stop the double, can you stop it if I, you know, come around to the outside? And those are the kind of things that um, Francis had to work on. And hopefully he worked on a lot of it because Stipe is going to put him to the test. What do you make of Stipe? Well, the weigh-ins are today, so I guess we'll see where he comes in at. But it seems like he's going to keep up at least a little bit of that slimness he had for the third Cormier fight. Now, you understand yeah. why that might help him in the third Cormier fight. I don't know. I kind of thought maybe being closer to 230-ish, 240-ish would have been better against Francis. Right? No? Maybe not. I guess not. Well, I mean, if you look at the back at that last Francis fight, you know, one thing that stood out to me was... Um, you know, it was it was Stipe on the outside. He did a really good job of making Francis miss on the outside and overreach a lot of times and miss, you know, and, and, and as it is when you out there and you're fighting, when you miss a punch, it tires you out more than if you connected with the punch. So uh, being on the outside like that was a really good strategy for Stipe. And not only that, it allowed Francis to just kind of uh, get himself out of position by over uh, by being over pursuant and then getting himself caught by um by Stipe going underneath those shots and um that's one thing that uh, Francis had to do a good job of not doing this time not throwing so much power just more or less trusting the power is going to be there and looking at trying to hit Stipe with speed just trying to touch him not for power not any wind ups because if you wind up on Stipe he's going to be underneath you taking you down hmm. um with Stipe here it's interesting he he fought Francis 
Then he fought Cormier three times, and he's back to Francis here. Is it, I don't know how to ask this question. Do you think that that's a good thing for him in terms of his chances, that there's this much familiarity, or that it doesn't matter that he's been fighting the same guys over and over again? Like, What difference does or does it not make to have that kind of repetition in your career with the same opponents? Well, I mean, when you're going DC over and over again, you know, I think that trilogy took a little bit out of him more than he probably would uh, admit. And I guess we're probably going to see the results of that um, come Saturday. But, um, you know, it's a perfect time for Francis to be fighting a Stipe like this, having to fight DC in those wars back to back. You know, he's came out on top two of those trilogies. But let's not forget that second battle, that second battle that Stipe went. He was getting lit up almost the entire fight and then found a way with those body shots to get the win against DC. But that still does not mitigate the damage that he took in that fight. You know, and that's the thing that a guy that is fresh as Francis who hasn't taken those concussive blows can really capitalize on if he can land that shot, if he can get Stipe and touch him the right way. What's the biggest advantage that Stipe has over Francis this time in your mind? I think it's the same th- that, that he had in the first time. The fact that, you know, um, he, he's he's a smarter fighter. You know, he, he's got that experience in there and he knows how to um, he knows how to. Uh, make adjustments during a fight, and we've seen that with the DC the DC fights. You know how he's able to make the adjustments and then make the adjustments to win in the second case. And even in the first fight with with uh, Francis, he did a really good job. At first, he was on the single leg, and that single leg, you know, hanging on a single leg, it made it so that Francis was kind of fighting himself in a bit because he had to hold his balance up, right? So now he's holding his balance up at the same time he's trying to stop this guy from taking him down, and then that just kind of added to. Just chipping away at that gas tank of Francis but then by the second and third round after he had a lot of success taking him down with the single leg he then just started just blasting through him with the double when Francis feet got stuck in the mud and he wasn't able to get his hips back anymore and that's the systematic approach that Stipe used to, 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 to break down Francis and I look for him to do the same thing in this fight I think in this fight he's going to actually bait uh, Francis more with the striking exchanges and then keep going back underneath or just even just kind of nullifying Francis' power in the clinches. Things that kind of frustrate Francis because Francis, he wants to punch, he wants to be able to strike at the distance and he wants to be able to have that range. Do you think there's any... like? It, I mean, here's the thing, right? It's that if Francis has a chance to win, it's almost exclusively on the feet. You wouldn't... Ima- I mean, maybe he could pound him out on the ground for a finishing sequence like he had done with Blades or something like that. But in general, there's only really one or so way way for him to win. You would at least imagine, in theory, Stipe has other ways. In fact, didn't Stipe win the first time because he was, you know, touching him up on the feet, at least over time, wearing him out with positional control, taking him down? Um, do you agree with that sentiment that even this time, Francis still only kind of has one way to win? It's a It's a devastating way. And it's a way you have to be on constant vigilance about. But there's he's not really any other kind of threat, right? I mean, so far we've seen, you know, we, we haven't seen uh, much of him in any other department because it hasn't really called for that manner, you know, because the way that he's been able to just, you know, dismantle his opponents in front of him with that powerful punch. But, you know, at the same time, you know, it, it does stand a reason to say that, you know, CP has way more, way more ways to win. You know, Stipe is so well-rounded and Stipe is extremely well, uh, extremely uh, head, and, head and shoulders above the rest 
in those departments, when it comes to grappling, when it comes to wrestling, when it comes, you know, even, even to some positional uh, striking positions, you know, he, he has that over um, over Ngannou because he's a better combination striker than Ngannou is. Ngannou's so, such a big, heavy striker. If he catches you once, it's, it's, you know, you're probably not going to be there for the second or third shot. So his combination striking isn't what it could be. And that's why I say that Stipe may have the advantage when it comes to the striking, uh, when, when it comes to just the combination punching inside there and being a little bit more uh, creative with the strikes that he, that he does. Um, and Gano, uh, he's going to have to show that he does have other wrinkles because he's going to have to win this fight in other areas besides just being able to catch Stipe with that one big shot. Uh, what fight would you rather see? John Jones, Stipe, or John Jones, because he's going to get the winner of this, or John Jones Ooh. in a world where he fights the Francis who beats Stipe to get that opportunity? I'd rather see John Jones fight Stipe. I mean, not, not Stipe, against Ngano. And I say that just because... You know, we we seen John Jones fight, you know, stylistic fighters like like Stipe, but I would love to see John Jones fight somebody with that power, you know, with just that that just pure unadulterated power like if he hits you with that, you're going to sleep, you know. It, it it's going to be it's surprising to see how John Jones is able to take that. I mean, I know he's been looking pretty good bumping up at 240. He looks as if like he still packs a punch, but at the same time that does not still stand a reason that you're able to take a hit. By the way, this is totally off the beaten path. Just since I have you here and I wanted to pick your brain, do you think that Adesanya not bulking up made a difference in the grappling and wrestling exchanges that he had with Blahovich? And I bring that up because John taking his time to be a real 240, I think when he locks up with some of these guys on the feet and has to really pummel in and, and push and pull them around, that will make a pretty big difference. I wonder what you think about what happened with the last title fight we had. Yeah, I think that played a, a big, a big, uh, you know, difference in the fact of how uh, Jan Blahowicz where he was, was able to con- uh, control Adesanya the way he was on the ground. Um, but you know, even if even if Adesanya did gain the weight, it's still very unlikely that he would have gained the strength that he needed to keep that guy off him because you know just the way that Blahowicz was able, just so persistent. You needed more than weight; he needed some strength to be able to keep that guy back. So. John Jones is doing it right. John Jones is, you know, taking his time and, and making sure that he's working on all those things that he's going to need at the heavyweight division, just in case he does get on the bottom. Um, you know, he, John Jones is. It's not like he's completely alien to, to training with heavyweights. You know, for the for the for the most part, he's such a big two hundred five pounder. A lot of his trainer partners that he's been training with throughout the years have been at that heavyweight weight class, so he's used to that size. But it's just a matter of is he used to the highest level at that weight class? Yeah, Brent, Brendan Schaub told me that there was a time where he was briefly training at Jackson's, and there was a bunch of heavyweights that sort of that cycle who were training with John. <laughs> and he said John fucked him and all those dudes up, <laughs> which which I can believe, of course. Um, yeah. All right, that takes us to our co-main event, B- uh, Rashad. Rashad, I'm not going to make you do predictions because I feel like most of the time we're just making shit up when we do predictions. We don't have to fuck <laughs> going to win. And I I appreciate you not doing that, man, because it puts me in a bad spot, man. I had to do a prediction last week against Derek Brunson and uh, Kevin Holland, and I picked Kevin Holland. And then I had Derek Brunson on the show, and I had to tell him because Derek Brunson is a friend of mine. And just the look of disappointment that he had on his face, (laughs) 
it broke my heart, man. I was like, you know, at that point, I was going to be like, you know what? I'm never picking a fight again because it just wasn't worth it, man. It just wasn't yeah. worth it to me. And, and Brunson, too, man, because I thought, you know, I thought when he fought Shabazi, and I was a big Shabazian guy, Brunson fucked him up. You're like, oh, wow, that's pretty impressive. And then Holland comes in on this hot streak, and Brunson ends that. Like, he, you know, I, 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 those are great wins for him. They were kind of hard to see coming beforehand, you know? So, yeah, uh, that's a tough spot. Well, I won't put you in that. <laughs> Here we are. All right, so co-main event. Tyron Woodley taking on Vicente Luque. Obviously, we were supposed to get Ortega versus Volkanovski. They got delayed due to COVID protocols. So, Woodley versus Luque, it is, uh, Rashad. Boy, this is... Um, this is a hell of a fight, Rashad, and I'll tell you why. Because Woodley, to me, when you look at the pantheon of great welterweights, he's in that conversation of of St. Pierre's and Hughes's and Militich's and things like that. I mean, he's in that sort of space. And the guys he's lost to have either held a title or they have, in these last three, I should say, have held a title or they at least fought in a title fight. Luque is different. Now, he's a tough customer. I think you would agree with that, right? He is voluminous with his yeah. output, great striking, no fear in the pocket. I mean, this guy is legit. Great submissions, too. We've seen him clamp onto those. But he has not been a guy who has fought for a title or held one. This would be new territory for Tyron. So I feel for him, Rashad, because on the one hand, if you lose, it does signify that you've now lost to those championship caliber guys and a tier below. On the other hand... Luke is a very good fighter. I don't know how fair that designation ultimately, or how how um, you know how truthful an evaluation of his talent at this point it really is. What do you make of this matchup? What what are you most paying attention to? Well, I'm paying attention to the fact that this is going to be the third guy from the camp, same camp that's fought in Tyron Woodley. So it seems to be and stand the reason that. They figured him out, you know. They figured Tyron out, and that and that's something that Tyron's going to have to come into this fight and just be totally different. And, and by that, you know, it's one thing to say, "Oh, he's got to be different. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be different." But just being different for Tyron, it, it just it just really means just being more active, you know, just being more active, being more offensive. And I think just by making that simple change, he can make enough adjustments to make himself different, so that you know, being being uh, being a being, uh, I guess, having, having lost the two other competitors, being Gilbert Burns and Usman, you know, the differences that he can make being more active can mitigate whatever that Luke has been working on. Because the reality of the situation is when I look at Tyron, I look at an athlete who still has it, but somewhere along the line, mentally speaking, it's just not connecting. And, it, and it's a competitive thing, it's, it's a mental thing. So much of fighting is mental. And, and I think that's the part that Tyron is struggling the most on. When he gets in there and he finds himself in a position where he has to fight from behind, he has a hard time mentally putting it together and really putting forth a really uh, winning effort by making the adjustments that he needed to make in the fight. And that's one thing that I've been seeing. You know, when you look at the guys that are just surging in his weight class, these are guys who are making those adjustments. These are guys who are just continuously getting better each and every single round, determining what their opponent's doing. But Tyron is not making those changes anymore. He's not. He's not. He's not dialed in like he was before. He's also going to be nearly 39 years old. He's the old, he, in terms of when you captured the belt, he's the oldest welterweight champion in UFC history. Uh, obviously, he's not the champion now, but I'm saying he, I think he got it at 36. The oldest before that was 34. I mean, I think St. Pierre gave the belt back when he was 34, right? He had it all that time previously. 
that's a hard weight class to be old in. I'm saying old, you know, he obviously looks the part, right? He's still in phenomenal condition. He's still training hard. But, dude, 39 years old at welterweight, I, I don't have to tell you this, Rashad. That's a hard place to be. That is a hard place to be, and especially against guys like Luke, who was just like just surging. Luke, I worked with Luke for the longest time, you know, um, with the Black Zillions and even at Sanford. And you know, Luke goes back and forth between Brazil and America, but you know, he's a stable at, at the Sanford place. And you know, just to watch his skill level, watch where he's gotten better at, watch his mindset, and uh, it, it's it's been amazing. That fight with Wonderboy where he lost, you know, that was probably like one of the biggest turnaround points for him because, you know, he felt like he climbed a, a, a level, but then didn't really capitalize on the opportunity. And he really took that personal and really started making the changes that he needs to in order to make that never happen again. He's been working on his wrestling. He's been working on all the things that you need in order to dominate a fight. And by dominate a fight, a, a fighter has to be able to take any fighter, no matter who it is, into his world and and be the dictator of that. And that's why Luke has been working on his wrestling. He's been working on those other areas where he just was, you know, typically just a stand-up guy and he'll catch you in the guillotine if it presented himself. But for the most part, he was going to try to get it done on his feet. But he's been changing that as lately. Do you think this will be a fight? I mean, obviously, this there is a is Tyron going to put out you know a lot of offense? I no one knows, but. He has to like this fight a little bit, Rashad, because Kamaru, you know, obviously can do a lot of things, but that was a wrestling-centric fight. The Colby fight, same kind of thing. The Gilbert fight, even that was a surprising degree of, I think, grappling. I mean, he was taken down in that fight. He was held down for a bit. Uh, this one, it's like, I'm not saying that Luke is a threat you could ignore in those dimensions, but, you know, he likes to get it done on the feet. He likes to box in the pocket. If you're a Tyron... Do you like that? I mean, it seems like you probably might hear a little bit. You get to switch it up against an opponent where you can at least showcase some of that power. Yeah, you definitely like it if you're Tyron because now you're just not a one-dimensional fighter. And that's what we've been seeing in the last few fights of Tyron because he's been in a position where he's fighting guys who's better at the grappling. It's been pretty much turning him into a one-dimensional fighter just really looking for one thing, which is his right hand. Now in this fight, he can return to looking for that big right hand, but also now he has a threat of the takedown, which he can win. He can win this takedown battle. He can get back to wrestling again. And, uh, you know, frankly speaking, if he's going to win this fight, he's got to make it a wrestling effort. He's got to make it a, a mixed martial arts effort. And he's got to make it where he's just not riding the outside edge of the fence. You know, he's got to put some pressure forward and he's got to be offensively driven. Got to be throwing combinations. Got to throw fakes and feints. He got to have to throw off-time punches. All these different things he's going to have to mix up to keep a guy like uh, Luke off him because Luke is a very busy fighter. He keeps his hands up high and he's at, and, and he puts on a heavy, heavy work pace. You think if if uh, Rashad loses four in a row, UFC cuts him? Yeah, I think if Tyron loses form, uh, the UFC is going to cut him. I, I think I think they're just pretty much just just waiting for the opportunity to be honest. And um, because, it's of, a because tough, of the past, they never got along. That kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think it's just um, yeah. I, th I think Tyron kind of rubbed them the wrong way, and um, you know you, you can't make you can't make enemies in this <laughs> industry like that, especially against your bosses. You know, and uh, you know that's something that me and Tyron talked about. Before, you know, um, I tried to give him some advice on just how to handle that, you know, at least in a public eye. 
And, you know, everybody has their uh, own way of learning things. And I guess Tyron had his own way. But but he put himself in a position now where, you know, he, he's it's all based on, you know, whether he's winning or losing. You know, all of his opportunities based on that. And if he doesn't win this fight, it's going to be hard to justify that paycheck, you know what I'm saying? Because he's got that pay from that championship money that he made when he was champion. And, uh, you know, he still probably makes a pretty good penny to for them to fight him. So, you know, when you're not performing and you're losing to guys who probably make half that pay, oh, yeah, you're going to get cut. Yeah, that, there's something to be said for that. What, <clears throat> what was the most you were ever uh, beefing with UFC management? Was it around the time where you wanted to wait for Shogun? To come back and then I mean I, not forget the whole Greg Jackson thing. I mean you and UFC management. What was the most you ever like, man? Fuck those guys. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's exactly when it was. It was it was that time during the Shogun fight, and that and that was probably when I look back at my career and just look at like you know the time like I wish I would have seized the moment of fighting when I really really enjoyed it. I wish I would have had that time back because you know I, I hurt myself even though I did get the fight by by waiting out. But then it wasn't worth the squeeze because I ended up getting injured. So then it was just like, oh, man, I waited for nothing, you know. So in hindsight, I wish I would have fought. But at the time, it was a great idea. And it did pan out because I did get the fight that I wanted to. But that's when I was going back and forth to the UFC. That's when me and Dane was getting into it. And, uh, we know, we, we had some hard words to say to each other. But that's when I really figured out that... Um, there, there was no wins in it for me if I if I went that route. You know, things started to get done and, and things got done once I, I decided to, uh, you know, have a conversation with Dana and really speak to him and, and not go back and forth in the media. You know, Dana says things. Dana says things. And, and sometimes, you know, he just says it off the cuff. And you might catch Dana in a bad mood. You might say something foul. And if he says something foul about you, you just got to be like, all right. And, you know, what I'm saying if it offends you that much. Just pick it up. The, just pick up the phone and give him a call. Dana's a man about whatever he says. You know, whatever he says, you you can have words with him about it in a private room, in a private area, and it, it'll be cool. But when you go back and forth on media as a boss, that's a no bueno. Yeah, it doesn't work too well usually. All right, so we now go to our feature fight. Last one I want to talk about in detail, if we can. Your namesake, Sugar Sean O'Malley, taking on Thomas Almeida. Sean O'Malley, it didn't really bother me how he handled I, mean, I try not to get too personally invested in how some of these things transpire uh, with wins and losses. But I did notice that O'Malley pissed off the general public with the way he handled that Cheeto Vera loss. And now he's coming back and saying, I'm going to pretend my or protect my undefeated record. You know, on the one hand, it's like I sort of get it. It's a gimmick. Plus, it pisses people off. So as a gimmick of attracting attention, it actually kind of works. But at the same time, it's like, wouldn't it be better to just accept that it was a loss, maybe somewhat of an unusual loss, but a loss just the same, and then work from there? Or if you're this young and this confident, it doesn't matter. No, I, I, I agree with you. You have to accept the losses. Like, it, it's, it's, part of, it's part of the healing. Like, you don't really... I cannot hear him. You hear me? Can you hear me? Sorry. Uh, Munich, can you hear him? Wait, they can't hear me. <laughs> Hang on What's a second. That? What the fuck? Yeah, what, what was the question again? It was, uh, you got the question. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, what you need to do is you 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 have to accept those losses because you know it's part of the healing. You don't really heal as a fighter in all ways. That means healing as far as you know, getting your head on straight and getting your mind set on what you need to do on future fights and learning from mistakes in the past from that fight because every fight has something to teach you and especially the fights that you lose when you lose there's a special something in it for you yeah he got caught up the ankle and the kick and whatnot and he said it wasn't you know whatever but at, at the end of the day he lost the fight he lost the fight and him not accepting him losing the fight no matter how it happened it it just makes it so that it's more likely to happen again and now he's going against a guy in Thomas Almeida who has great leg kicks. His leg kicks are phenomenal. And, and just like Cheeto Vera, they, he can take advantage of those leg kicks as well, too. So now we get a chance to see, okay, well, you didn't want to accept that as a loss. Well, have you corrected that deficiency in your game yet? You know, because if you haven't accepted the loss, have you accepted that deficiency in your game? And that's what it comes down to. Can you accept deficiencies in your game? Fair enough. All right, I think I'm back now. I think you should be able to hear me. Uh, let me ask you about Thomas Almeida because here is a guy, right, who is uh, – he has decent vol – good volume, I would say. He has seemingly good offensive technique, and yet he just seems so goddamn hittable. What's up with these – I mean, maybe you don't agree with that characterization, but that's mine. But it's just weird. Usually when you see a guy who's that slick when he's dishing it out, has some kind of defensive elements baked into it, and I don't really see that with his game. In fact, he was even well. Sean O'Malley was telling people to bet on Thomas Almeida, but Almeida pretty pretty significant underdog here. Yeah, it's because of that jaw, man. It's you know the truth of the matter is the fact that he's been knocked out, and and um, when he gets touched, you know he he goes he goes down. And uh, uh, Sean O'Malley has heat in that hand. He has some heat. But here's the thing that makes it so that Almeida gets hit. So. He's very he 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 keeps his hands up pretty well, but the problem is that with these small gloves on, there's only so much of those punches you're gonna block. So in conjunction with having his hands up, he needs to move his feet at the same time. And what happens is you see Almeida, he gets under attack and he just puts his hands up and then his feet they stop moving. At some point, the guy's gonna find the entry hole. He's gonna find that key to unlock that door. And if Almeida's still blocking without using his feet, then he's going to get caught with something. So that's been the biggest thing and biggest defensive problem in Almeida's game. And it's cost him. It's cost him his chin. It's really cost him his chin. Can you get your chin back? That's the thing about it. And time off would make you so that you you can withstand a shot, uh, make, withstand a punch. But even also getting some neurological work done in the jaw, in the areas of, of the neck and things like that. Those are the kind of things that can make you uh, get that beard a little bit stronger for you to take the shot. But once that button has been pressed, it's been pressed. Hmm. It'll be interesting to see. All right. Let's move on to topic number two, if we can. I always think one day, Rashad, there's going to be you in one of these news cycles, but not this time. This time it's Misha Tate. She announced a return uh, after four years away. I think she had two children during that time. She will be back on July 17th, Rashad, facing Marion Renault. What's funny about that is not merely that Misha Tate is back after four years, but that this will actually serve as the retirement fight for Miss Renault. Let's start on the Tate side of things. Four years pass. 
She still wants it. She still has a fire. And she left after a devastating loss to Amanda Nunes. I guess, Rashad, we're never surprised by the unretirement of fighters. But in this case, I guess I am a little bit. Are you surprised by it? What do you make of her wanting to come back after four years? Well, I mean, you know, I think that um, she was young when she retired. You know, she was really young when she was retired. And and I, I, I say that she's primarily coming back because she's had time. She had time to herself to train, you know, and I think that during the pandemic, it offered a lot of free time to train and be a training partner for, for uh, some people and help out in some camps. And after a while, you know, you start hanging around some fighters, you, you're going to get yourself into a fight. It just, it's just what happens. And I think that's what happens in a case with Misha Tate. You know, she was working with one, uh, doing some administrative work w- with their organization. But now, you know, after being sent back to America because of the quarantine situation, she's been getting back after it. And, you know, she's, she's, she's saying all the right things. She's saying all the right things. You know, this is, it was just time. You know when you know. And, and that's just the case. You really do know when you know because there's nothing like making that walk. And to be honest, you know, being out the game for four years, that is a long time just because of the fact of how fast this sport grow. It grows so fast and there's so many different nuances in the sport that changes on, on just, in just one season. You know, you miss a few fights, you miss one season of fighting and, and things are already different. Now, missing that many it's going to be tough for her to come back, and especially against a, a, a Marion Renault who's not been, you know, she's not been looking bad. She's been losing some tough fights, been on the tough end of some uh, really um, tough fights, but for the most part, she's still very competitive. Now, just to clarify the record, she, it was not the loss to Nunes at 200. It was a decision. I had forgotten about this, but now I remember. It was a decision loss at UFC 205 where she just looked listless against Raquel Pennington. So I can imagine having more of the fire back. You had children, and so that's behind you as a family planning situation, so you're in a good space to get back. You're right. She retired at 30, 34 now. That's still not terribly old, and she's not certainly taking hardly any damage in that four years. But she was talking about still wanting a, a crack at Amanda Nunes and other things like that. Do you, if you had to, like, gun to your head situation, and this is a bit unfair, but I'm going to try, is it is a... Is it unreasonable to assume that a title fight is is out of grasp? I wouldn't say it's. I, I would say it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty reasonable, and I, and I say that just because of the weight class. Um, you know, it, there's really not that. Um, I think she can still make a run. I still think that she comes back and she looks competitive. She she can definitely be in the thick of things. You know, I think that she, when, when she was on top. You know her skill set that she was that she brought to the game. It, it, it was a big difference, and um, and I think that she can definitely, if she makes some improvements with that game that she had, she can compete. She can definitely compete because it's not it's not too deep. We're gonna see. I think also like you know they're looking for some kind of contender with a name to give Amanda. Amanda's just smoking everybody to this point where it's like, what's the next exciting matchup? Really, it's just it's not the fight itself. Probably would be boring if it's anything like the second one and parts of the first, which is Shevchenko. This gives Amanda Nunes, even if it'd be a rematch, it'd be a rematch against the name that people know. I think for no other reason, UFC might be just be looking at it for those purposes too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when it when it comes to it, you just got to feed the beast, and, and that beast is Amanda Nunes, and she's been looking phenomenal and just really separating herself from 
everyone in two-way classes, which is pretty much unheard of. And it doesn't look like she's going to give up the belt anytime soon. It honestly looks like she can just hold it as long as she wants to. It's been it's been it's been really amazing. There's really not many people that stepped up to the plate that that's really wanting to fight her. So if um, Misha Tate can make a campaign and really uh, put together a string of fights that look you know interesting, then she can definitely get a chance uh, to get back in there for a title shot. How how are you enjoying retirement? I enjoy it. I, I really do enjoy it. You know, one thing that keeps me from just like uh, from being like, all right, I'm going to do it again. Uh, besides me just being old as hell, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I work with the bigger guys. And when after I get done from working with them, just the soreness I feel on my body, it takes me a couple of days to recover from. It lets me know that I'm 40 something years old and, 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 and I've done my work. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like I could probably put together another camp, but. I'm good right here, BC. I mean, uh, Luke, I'm good right here. Yeah, I, I, I hear you, dude. I'm 41, and, you know, I'm no world-class athlete. I'm no athlete at all, but, like, bro, I go to the gym and try, and you know, pump a little iron, and the soreness does not go away like it used to. It takes a lot longer now, and it sucks. Yeah. It sucks, Rashad. I hate it. Um, and, that, and, that's, and, that's, and that's another thing, Luke, is, like, uh, like, when I'm at this age right now, I'll work out. And then something will hurt me that I didn't really know hurt me. Like you just get hurt for no reason. You like things just linger with you for a lot longer, and you just don't even know how it even happened. And that's how you know it's like, yeah, I, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. <laughs> and the doctors won't do shit. You go to them. You go to them, and they'll be like, "Yo, this thing is broken." They'll be like, "How old are you?" You're like forty-one. They're like, "Yeah, bro, it's just it's gonna stay broken for the rest of your life. Yeah. This is not a thing you can really fix. You're just old." You're just old. Exactly. Uh, exactly. All right. Now, a guy who is not old takes us now to topic number three. And it was a, a touch and go situation there, although we knew that we we're probably one way or the other working with some incomplete, or at least, you know, some temporary information, I should say. But Kamzat Shemaev, the top prospect maybe of 2020, or the guy who made the biggest noise that year, certainly coming from nothing to something, uh, he was supposed to take on. Uh, Leon Edwards recently and couldn't because he got COVID. He didn't just get COVID. He got a really bad case of it. He was coughing up blood. Uh, he was saying he was not going to fight anymore. And then there were reports that didn't want to talk to him and that, that was all premature. Fine. I could understand him deciding that now I feel a little bit better. I'm planning to come back. I think originally Rashad it was supposed to be June. Now it's looking like July. I think two-parter there. One... Obviously, if he's feeling better, he's going to know himself better than we do. But I guess the first part of the question I would ask is, is July a little early given how bad his COVID was? It's rare that a guy like that kind of shape would have that much difficulty with that disease. And two, let's say July is the good time to come back. Do you like the idea of Neil Magny? Neil doesn't like it because he doesn't want to wait. Well, I've seen uh, Hamza probably about a couple weeks ago, like where, when you first came back into America and um, yeah, he looked a lot different. You know, he looked, he looked as if like, you know, he was just still recovering from being sick. He didn't really have a lot of color on his face. Even the color in his eyes were just kind of dull and gray and stuff like that. So he, he looked like he had a long ways to go, you know? And um, with that said, I know there there's some people that just, you know, want to train through the whole COVID thing and want to keep on going and just doesn't want don't want to stop. And that does damage. 
So it, it all depends on like what kind of damage was done to his body in the cardiovascular area, you know, because that's the hardest part that, that takes some time to really get back when, when you're coming back from this COVID is just making sure that your cardio and your lungs are going to be able to continue to work like how they used to. And that remains to be seen. You know, it, it all depends on what kind of steroids he was on for his lungs and what kind of, you know, what kind of lung strength that he has after all the medicine subsides because he can't fight with those steroids and that medication in the system. He has to find a way to, 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 to uh, you know, once he's off it to be better without it. So, is he going to be able to have the lung strength? And only he will be able to know that. But it might be a little bit too soon, being that fact that this is already March and, and, and he's still in a recovery phase and you still have a whole camp to put together. July might be a little soon. I would probably say if I was his manager, just from what I've seen when I looked at him, I would say August, September, just to make sure that he's returning to be the same guy. And especially if he wants to fight a guy like Neil Magny or somebody at the high caliber of a Leon Edwards or whoever else he was in the talks of fighting before everything happened with his health, you know? So th those are some big fights, but he's got to make sure that he's a hundred percent healthy before he gets back into get back in there. Have you, or do you actually, I asked this, do you know if you've had COVID? Have you had COVID? No, I have not had COVID yet. I yeah. have not had it yet. Uh, BC, uh, BC test negative. Now I think he had it, dude, because there was, <laughs> There was a period where, uh, so when did you find out about COVID like from China? Like, let's say what, like late January of 2020, maybe February, right? Yeah. Something like that. When you heard like, yeah. oh, Wuhan's on lockdown. And we were all like, sucks to be those bitches, you know, that kind of thing. Um, little did we know. He, got, he was traveling to Vegas during that time and he got super sick, but not the kind of coffee, sneezy sick. Like he was having heart issues and palpitations. He had to go to the hospital. Did he ever tell you this? And they're no. like, you've got walking pneumonia, but not quite. Dude, I am convinced that fucking dude had COVID. I'm convinced. You know what? I, I do. I do remember. I do remember that because he did. Uh, I remember when he went to Vegas for his birthday or something back and he came back, came back really sick. So he most likely had it. And I think a lot of people had it during that time and just really didn't even know about it, too. I had a brother. My brother had it back then too but didn't really even know about it as well so i think a lot of people got it before it was like officially not announced that it was here in america in terms of chumayev it gets back to an important question because now you're dealing with a guy that's got two issues and they're not they're not in any way unsolvable issues but i do think it's like you need to progress here as um, wisely as you can one as good as he looked in 2020 and of course make no mistake he looked tremendous he doesn't have a lot of experience. I think that's just an objective fact in terms of professional MMA. Uh, even the fights he's had in UFC, they were just one-sided. It wasn't like he really got tested or pressed and had to really overcome a ton of adversity. And then he just you know, dusted Ger Gerald Mearshart in a matter of seconds. And now he's had time off. Part of me feels like a win over Magny would be great if they could make a fight like that, Rashad. Because, hello, that's a really credentialed, respected fighter. But given that he's still relatively new in his career and he's had time off, where would you say he goes in terms of weight class? 170, 185? And how, how difficult a first fight back should it be for a guy with those two conditions? Well, he's coming back on a lighter side just from what I've seen of him, just looking at him uh, from what I've seen him. He looks like he's closer to like the 170 range. So coming back at 170, would probably be the best fit for him. 
you know, uh, until he puts back on that size. Um, if it was one where he was cutting weight to make 170, then I'll say probably the higher weight class would be a better because you don't want to compound anything else with 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 what you just came back from. You know, you don't want to take a risk of of cutting weight and then aggravating something just by, you know, because whenever you cut weight, it's like you, you do a detox on your body and you're really getting rid of a lot of things that maybe just be residually left in you because when you're, you're, you're cutting weight, you're burning yourself all the way down in all those fats and who knows what's stored in those fats. You know, it can be some nasty stuff stored in those fats. So you don't want to aggravate your sickness by cutting too much weight. So if, if he's closer to 170, he should go 170. But um, if he's close to 185, he can go 185. But from, from what I've seen, He's looking more like he should go 170. Hmm. It'll be an interesting test when he comes back. I guess we'll have to see. All right. Now, speaking of fighters getting sideways with UFC, and but this is a weird one, a really weird one. I don't feel like, I mean, maybe, maybe saying getting sideways is a little strong, but let's say that Justin Gaethje feels disrespected by the Ultimate Fighting Championship. He told Full Reptile Radio, I believe, in terms of like what's next for him, because recall, it was believed he was going to fight Mike Chandler, then all of a sudden, it's Mike Chandler versus Charles Oliveira. A phenomenal fight, but where does it leave someone like Justin Gaethje? So he says, in terms of what's next for him, who knows, man? Quote, I can't talk about it a lot right now. I'm sure me talking about it in the past is the reason I'm here. Who knows? Maybe I pissed someone off. I don't know. All I know is, since I was 12, 13 years old, I listened to Dana White do interviews and explain what he wanted in a fighter, and I'm that MFer. If I get disrespected, it's going to be hurtful because I really bought into what Dana talks about. So it'll hurt because I feel like a company man from day one. I don't ever want to go anywhere else. I don't want to fight anywhere else, but my principles are the most important thing to me. We'll see what happens. Rashad, see what, what kind of sense can you make of this? Why wouldn't they go with a Chandler versus Gaethje fight? Why do you think they went a different direction? And why is a guy like Gaethje, who is just tailor-made for Dana's sensibilities, inactive? Yeah, that, that, is, um, that is an interesting thing for me, too, because I, I really didn't understand it either. You know, uh, when it was all getting sorted out, I heard them, you know, I heard that there might be some talks about uh, Justin Gaethje getting in there. And, and that fight happening. But um, when he got passed up, that one kind of confused me as well, too. Uh, you know, but here, here's the thing about it. a guy like Justin Gaethje. He, he's a hard guy, you know, for one, to get people to take that fight, you know, when they have to fight him. And for two, it's like, you know, OK, where, where do you put him? You know, you, you where do you put him after, you know, his, his last fight? You know, do you want to do you put him right back in there with somebody who's coming off of a win and things like that? And I think that was what they were looking at more importantly like you know okay where 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 is he coming back from you know and i think that's the reason why they went with the charles and the mike chandler fight is because both of those guys were coming off a too impressive win and they're trying to capitalize on that hype and um you know it's it's i like the fact that justin gaethje feels like this but for him uh for for me i wouldn't if i was just talk to him i would tell him you know don't don't hang your hat so much right now. You know, allow those guys to fight. And there's no doubt in my mind, one of those guys are going to definitely pick him up as a first title defense. You know what I'm saying? So it's not about whether you get the, you know, rather you be first to get the title shot because he's going to get that title shot. It's just a matter of when. And, and for the most part, he might be able to, uh, you know, 
sit back and just watch both of these guys fight and then see what he needs to do between both of these guys and get a better and get a better read on both of them you know so it's um it's commendable that he wants to be in there and he feels like he's rightly deserving so because he definitely is but at the same time allow the process to be there allow the process to take place and just seize the opportunity that comes uh, uh coming up afterwards yeah it's just not a it's just not a simple situation is it right because they had the situation where Habib wins against Justin and then decides I'm done and so you have to figure out what to do with the title and they didn't put a title on the second Poirier McGregor fight so it's still kind of floating then Poirier wins so you got to do that one again but are you going to give a title shot to Conor coming off of a loss so that doesn't really work so then you have to find a title fight but you can't give it to Justin because he just lost in the title fight you're right Chandler and Oliveira had these two incredible wins let's put them together it just leaves a really unfortunate situation where a Dustin Poirier is not fighting for a title that's that seems weird. He's the number one contender by a mile. And then on the other side, you've got Justin Gaethje, where understandably you can make sense of those other matchups that they made and for the reasons that they made them. But the hole in the logic is that it just leaves a guy who is tailor-made for modern UFC out on, you know, no man's land with nowhere to go. It's just a weird byproduct of the choices that they made, the situations that they found themselves in. If you're representing Gaethje do you recommend taking a fight to stay active against a guy somewhere in that six to ten space in the rankings or do you wait a little bit see how things shake out at the top and then get someone still in that top five space I think he needs to fight somebody to be honest I think he needs to fight somebody within the sex the the, the, um, the six, six to ten, ten place yeah I think so just because like like look he's coming off a loss against Habib and he's looking to get act up, and everybody else is booked for a while. You know, who knows what's going to happen from those fights? You know, those fights are going to be some heavy damage in those fights. So you don't want to sit back and then find yourself waiting out another, you know, five, six months, even after that fight happens, you know, depending on what happened. So he can be out for a long time if he just doesn't take a fight. And I think being active will make him feel better as well, too, because he found himself in a position where he's an odd man out. And, uh, you know, he's, he's got to keep himself busy. And, and if he finds himself, you know, w- with one of those 6 to 10 fighters, you know, that can definitely be a good spot for him to start making up for some of the mistakes that he made in the Habib fight and just really start putting himself in a position to etch himself in the minds of the fans so he's next in line for a title shot. Uh, now that Habib is gone, forget what the rankings say or whatever. Who in your mind is the best lightweight? Not what the, you know, just just in Rashad Evans's personal opinion. Who's number one? Well, I got to say, um, I got to say Dustin Poirier. I got to I gotta say Dustin at this point, you know. Um, I, I just think that what, what Dustin has been able to prove over the last few fights is really shown that he's grown into the fighter uh, which which we all thought he could be, you know, um, and just you know he seems to be getting better and better, and and he seems to be growing and just comfort and being in his position. So sky's the limit on a fighter who's really surging like how Dustin Poirier is right now. You know what was better about your era uh, and the era that first? When I say your era, I mean your UFC era. So the UFC era that was taking place while you were on the come-up through Ultimate Fighter and whatnot, which was there were fewer events. 
So they would do rematches immediately, like in the case where Couture got his eyelid cut by Vitor within the first, like, what was it, 30 seconds of the fight, not yeah. even. And then they had to go and redo that one back. But generally, if you lost, you, know, you had to wait a while before you were going to get another shot. But yeah. what it did was it created time for each fighter to go on their own journey and then meet at a later time when they were very different fighters. One of the reasons why I just don't like these immediate rematches is because it's like sometimes they're warranted. You know as well as I do. Sometimes they are quite warranted, but usually it's because a judge fucked up or a referee fucked up or there was some kind of mishap or something. I like it that the first and second McGregor fights uh, with Poirier, there's like six years apart. Dude, that's how it should be. There should be time in between. Right. It was a lot more common when you fought. It's just not so common now. No, it isn't. And it adds so much more hype to it, too. You know, when you can go back and look at what these guys been from, from the time they fought and their journey, and then now seeing what they're going to, what they bring to the table, you can give a better assessment of who's grown in the skill capacity during the time away. Uh, all right. So with that in mind, we'll see what's next for him. I don't, I tend to think that he's going to have some options for Justin Gaethje. I think he's going to have options pretty soon. Speaking of options, this is an interesting one, uh, Rashad. We go to topic number five here. So Ari Emanuel, the head of WME, William Morris Endeavor, whatever it's called at this point, wants to buy the half of the UFC that he doesn't own. Now, they currently own 50.1%. So they are the majority owners. But they want to buy the 49.9% that they don't own. You might ask why. Well, it's a pretty big reason. They want to have an IPO, so they want the public to invest in them, and they want to go public. And in 2020, UFC was 80% of WME's revenue. Now, all those agencies in Hollywood took a bath during COVID. It wasn't just WME. It was CAA. It was... Uh, who's the one that reps all those other guys? Um, uh, not Titanium. What's the name of that fucking brand? I forget. But they all took a a, a, a bath. By the way, do you, are you rep by anyone at any one of these places, Rashad? No, I am not. Yeah, we, you have been, right? Or have you have you never had one of those like agents before? No, I never had one of those big time agents. I never had one. I know they must have offered you. What happened? I mean, it just never ended up happening at all. I was talking, and I was in talks with a couple of them, but it just never ended up happening. Yeah. The the guy who repped me dropped me to go to CAA. That was a great moment of uh, real personal growth I had to go through <laughs> to, to live through that one, Rashad. But neither here nor there. Their business, obviously, as you can imagine, was poorly affected by COVID. This comes to us from the New York Post. Quote, the Hollywood super agents conglomerate Endeavor, which uh, owns Miss Universe pageant and other stuff as well, they own 50.1% of the MMA giant behind Octagon Bruisers and blah, blah, blah. Okay, now Emmanuel is looking to scoop up the remaining 49.9% as he stages a renewed effort to take Endeavor public. Um, they had a failed IPO in 2019. The fresh IPO bid, which is now being led by Morgan Stanley, will likely be filed early next month, sources said. Goldman led the first IPO roadshow, which had Endeavor seeking to raise over $600 million before abruptly pulling the plug in September of 2019. The multi-billion dollar UFC buyout will likely require Endeavor to cut pricey deals with buyout firms, which collectively own 40% of the MMA company. This is sort of a weird one to ask you and me, because we operate at a level where it just doesn't necessarily affect us. But when a company does go public, things do get a little bit different. I guess my question is, Rashad, do you have any concerns about WME's fortunes being so directly tied 
to, yes, a successful UFC business, highly successful, but 80% of their revenue, that just seems like they're very reliant on that. Yeah, and, and like you say, um, when, when they're reliant and they're in that space, that Hollywood space, you know, um, you know that can definitely, um, you know, interests change things, you know what I'm saying? It can change things, it can change the way that, um, that, that things are in the sport, you know, for the most part. So, uh, it, 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 you know, it stands to reason that the UFC, you know, they've been moving progressively in the right direction and things like that. And, you know, they've been able to, you know, stay on the on the development side of things by always getting these great contracts and always projecting themselves up. So it, it's interesting to see, like, what wrinkle this adds in the whole, you know, uh, the growth of the UFC, because no doubt about it, they go public you know they're gonna they're gonna kill it. They're gonna kill it, and and them going public and and going to that level. You know what does that mean for the fighters? What does that mean for the fighters' pay? What does that mean just for the whole organization in general? You know, watching it go from where I where I started out now to where it is now is completely different. You know, it's just gotten so corporate now. You know, I can just imagine if they start, you know, publicly trading, then they're going to get even more co uh, corporate. So I wonder what that will entail for the fighters in general, you know, because, you I know, mean, there will be some kind of tug in that in that direction. I mean, you you won the ultimate fighter by beating a guy who was called the hillbilly heartthrob. I don't know if we'd get a whole lot of those these <laughs> these days. Maybe not. Maybe. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see, like, um, you know what uh what that kind of attention does to just the way that you know we we've always traditionally presented ourselves in a sport you know what i'm saying it's been always that kind of that brashness in the sport you know do they do they try to clean things up a little bit more now that we're at a higher right. level who knows you know i mean i kind of like the the griminess of ufc <laughs> yeah it, it, it's just impossible to know right i mean does it clean it's things impossible. up does it not does it change the way they do business to make UFC bigger than it already is? If that's such a, if there's a way to do that, who knows? I don't, I don't know. But you like that. You like that. Uh, I have to say, you know, it's MMA will it is still very full of really interesting characters. Like people who like cage fighting will always be a little bit. There will always be members of a community of a community of people who like cage fighting who are a little bit off. I don't think that has changed, but like. You're right. There definitely is a professionalization that people can't appreciate just how cra it's crazy still, but how crazy it used to be with some of the things that went on or took place or were just routine you could expect. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like, even now, like when like when a fight gets almost too bloody, you know, that's like not good for like when it's on like, you know, ESPN or when it's on like these these big channels, unless it's on pay-per-view, you know, when that's just on free TV. Sometimes that can be a bit much just for for uh, just the common fan. So, you know, I'm sure they don't like it too much when that happens just because it just makes it look so barbaric. You know what I'm saying? Fair enough. Uh, I just want to put that news out there. It's a small topic. Only want to bring it up because it could be hugely influential. Could not be, but there are just a lot of different ways it could go. I want to put it on people's radar. All right, last but not least, we're doing this for BC I don't know how much you care about it. That's uh, for the interim WBC heavyweight title of the world. First fight was actually pretty good. This is between Alexander, it's the rematch, I should say, between Alexander Povetkin and Dillian White. And the first fight, Rashad, was actually pretty interesting because Povetkin gets 
dropped twice in a round with these like short left hooks, almost like an uppercut, I think the second one was, in these close battle exchanges. Then in the next round, Pavetkin comes up, starts drilling to that he's going to start throwing the overhand right, gets White to move in that direction, and then drills him with just an absolutely vicious uppercut, closes the show. Honestly, a KO of the year contender is what it was. It was a fifth round TKO that they stopped it. Let me just ask you about this. What what does that do to a person when you have... I mean, in almost 99 times out of 100 in a boxing match, if you see a guy get dropped twice in a round, you think that the, he made it, He was lucky to get out of the round and he's going to get demolished in the next round. And then Pavetkin comes out and then viciously stops him. What does that do to a fighter like Dillian White? Well, I mean, watching that fight, you know, uh, you know, Dillian White was just having his way, really. And, and he was, you know... Slipping that overhand right and just digging to the body and just really just putting it on Pavetkin from just that body shot and just, you know, was like just the timing on it was perfect. His timing was great. He was doing every single thing right. He was in perfect control. And then Pavetkin makes that adjustment and just that that adjustment that he made what was devastating. Now, for the most part, if you're if you're dealing white, you'd be like, yeah, he just caught me slipping. But if you really watch that fight, it wasn't just a getting caught slipping. It was a well adjust. It was a really good adjustment that that his opponent made. Now that makes it a little bit more scary because you know Pavikin is is forty one years old, but at the same time he's still cognitively sharp. He's still so sharp in there, and he still knows how to make those adjustments. Being the older, crafty fighter, you know that's what he has to worry about. But Dylan White just has to go in there. And understand and let that youth speak for him. Let his power speak for him. Put that youth on him. He put that youth on him and stay stay cautious and don't get too comfortable. He should handily win this fight. But at the same time, the adjustments that Pavitkin made the first fight, he still can be had in this very in the second fight. Yeah, this is this is a uh this is a this is do you think that because of the way he got finished before, this fight could be a little bit that, I mean, that was a bit of a gunfight, right? I mean, P- White was letting it go, and then Pavetkin returned favor. Is this one going to be a little bit more boring, perhaps? You know, I, I don't. You know, I, I would say probably not. And I th- and I say that because even in the first fight, it was it was primarily by Pavetkin putting that pressure on Dylan White. You know, Pavetkin was going out there with the overhand right, and then um, and then White was just countering with the counter shots. But it was a pressure. That Pavikin was putting on him, and he was just not able to just you know uh, handle the counter of Dylan White. That he got caught, you know, he got caught for uh, in the fourth round twice by uh, some punches. But it was him making the adjustments. But it was all Pavikin putting that pressure. And so I think that in this fight, he's going to go back out there and he's going to put that pressure on him again. I think he's going to go out there and try to make him make the same mistake. And, and hopefully Dylan White has seen where he's made that mistake at, you know, and and being able to to find a way to 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 put us to the end to this this heavy hitting old school guy that finds that inside fighting so well. Um, well, I'd be curious to see what happens. I probably am not going to watch it. Where are you going to watch UFC 260, Rashad? I'm gonna be in Illinois. I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch it at home in Illinois. I'm be with uh, you know some some family members watching it. But it's gonna be. Uh, I can't wait to see it, man. I'm a big um, Stipe fan, and I'm a big Ngannou fan. So right now I'm a little bit torn. You know what's gonna happen, but 
it's a good place to be torn in. You know, I feel like there's no losers in this fight. <laughs> no, certainly it's going to be a lot of fun. I thought you were from like I thought you were from Niagara, Niagara yeah, Falls I, area. I am from Niagara Falls, but I have kids who live in Illinois. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So yeah. some folk. Are your kids super into UFC now that you're not an active fighter? Yeah, they're they're kind of into it, but you know they're kids, man. Kids, you know, kids these days, you know, they're kind of into it. Not really. My son, my son, he's been training a little bit, so he he's kind of into it. And my daughter, who's um, you know, she's thirteen years old, man, she can fight, man. She's tough, so she likes it. She likes the women fighting, so we'll see. Whenever I'm around, they're the biggest UFC fans. Do they do they do they treat you like the Hall of Famer that you are? Do they think Dad's a huge fucking dork? They think Dad is the biggest dork in the world. <laughs> Dude, it's like, do you know what your do you know what your dad did to Sean Salmon? Show that man some fucking respect. But you know, yeah, you they, they think I'm the Prime. biggest. They think I'm the biggest dork in the world. It's so funny. Just, it's funny to see. You know, it's, it's humbling at the same time. <laughs> Are you traveling anywhere for any work trips anytime coming up soon? You got any? What's what's on the horizon for the next few months? Uh not not much, man. Not much. I, I think I have a show in a uh, UFC show in a couple weeks. But I'm not really too sure what card it is on because they don't Apex so fast. He's that yeah, Apex facility. Yeah, you've not been to Fight Island, correct? No, I have not. I have not been there. I would be curious to see Fight Island. So I'm not actually on online. I don't really want to go to Abu Dhabi. I'm not. <laughs> so I'm okay. You know, I'm good. I mean, they they say they go there and they just sit in a hotel and that and and as from what it is in Vegas, you know, that's what we do. We go in there, we just sit in our rooms and just kind of. You know, uh, we got to be alone most of the time. You can't even hang out with the people that you got to work with because if somebody's results come back, you know, not good, then that can just, you know, knock everybody else off that was hanging out with that person. They'll do some COVID tracing. And if you're with that person due to COVID tracing, you won't be able to be on the show. That's how we lost basically the uh, Volkanovsky and Ortega fight and the Riddell versus Gregor Gillespie fight because only one of them tested positive and then, but everyone around them is now kaput because uh, of the way the policy works, which is terrible and unfortunate, but it's sort of the way we... Did you have a beat on the Volkanovski-Ortega fight? Did you have a feeling about which way that might go? Man, I, I was feeling Ortega, man. I was really feeling Ortega. Really? I was feeling like, yeah, I was really feeling Ortega. He really showed me something in his last fight, you know. Ortega's just surging and growing, and, um, you know, I, I really think that he's just a difficult fight for those guys uh, because he brings that 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 clutch submission game you know that clutch submission game it changes a lot on your feet you can be in bad position on your feet but find you know find that submission almost anywhere and he does it all right well before we close today's proceedings we have our last segment here of the week as a reminder i will be doing a live post fight show right here on morning combat following saturday's uh, main event but it's time now for the awkwardly titled i think i don't like but we're gonna do it anyway tip to tip this is where we just sort of share one tip <laughs> For you guys, could be anything, food, movies, reading, whatever, life advice. There we go. Thank you for being weird, Rashad. Now I hate you too. Uh, You can go first. Give us a tip, Rashad. My tip is a health tip, and it's called, um, it's you know, whenever we eat food, whenever we eat anything, you know, it, it produces waste, right? And our cells produce waste. So one thing that carries the waste, internally speaking, is the lymphatic system. When the lymphatic system gets inundated with too much waste, it has it. Uh, it causes sickness. So one way that we can eliminate that is by taking a supplement called Herataki. Herataki is something that you take at nighttime, and it acts as a janitor. And what it does, you take it at nighttime, and it cleans out your stomach. 
and it cleans out your large and your small intestines. And that way you have a strong movement in the, mo in the morning once you wake up. But it cleans out your intestinal tract and it, and it allows you to have a clean tract, a uh, digestional tract to start the day off right. And it also, when it cleans out the tract, it gives you uh, good gut bacteria. Having good gut bacteria is very important because it allows your body to absorb nutrients. And with this fight with COVID and everything else like that, that we're, we're dealing with, you know, being aware of just having, you know, good lymphatic health is very important because having good lymphatic health is having good immune health. You know, we know about antibodies and everything else like that, but also we got to be able to keep our lymphatic system clean and this supplement help. And also, not for nothing, when you take this supplement, it puts 300% oxygen back into your brain. So I would take it. I'm not selling a product. I'm just telling you, you should take it. Maybe. I will definitely look into it. Uh, by the way, I don't know if this is true, but I was told this. So I'm going to repeat it as if it was true. Like that when John Wayne died, they found something like 40 or 50 pounds of undigested uh, or I should say partially digested food in his in his colon or his large intestines, something like that. He basically had like 40 pounds of shit in his body that hadn't been passed through because he had such an unhealthy lifestyle, I guess. Have you ever heard anything like that? Yeah, I have. And that's another reason why it's good to take this because when we eat meat, you know, our body doesn't have enough acidity to really break it all the way down. So what ends up happening, it gets stuck in our long and digestive tract. You know, a lot of carnivores have a very short digestive tract, so it's not many. Uh, it's not too long. So when it's it's long the way ours is, it makes it harder for the meat to pass through, and it gets caught in all those little turns that it has to make. So this cleans it all out, and it allows those uh, those those plaques and and those you know built up meat in your system to just get out of there, and that way when it gets out of your system, it's not sitting in your stomach just making disease happen. If I take this, am I going to have unrelenting diarrhea? You will until you get cleaned out, and once you get cleaned out, you'll be pretty. You'll be pretty stable. So that's why I was saying, you know, I, I would. I, you you start off. You start off easy with it. You don't want to start off too aggressive. You start off too aggressive, you're gonna be feeling it. But if you start off nice and slow, gradually, then it will systematically uh, allow you to eliminate properly without, you know, making you handcuffed to the toilet for a whole day. Bro, I'm gonna. I'm gonna spike this in bc's drink so fucking hard it's gonna be awesome um all right for my tip i have been rashad during i mean a lot of people have been doing this since the quarantine and the lockdown and blah 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 people are investing more in what kind of exercise equipment do i have in the home now i maintain a gym membership because i want to support local businesses as i told folks i looked it up on the mayor's report less than one percent of positive covid cases come from the gyms in the city so you know i mask up i do what i'm supposed to and i get in and out but i try to get rashad i think you might agree with this if i can work out in the sun i would like to be able to work out in the sun plus if you work out in your yard you don't have to wear a mask you have all the space that you need you could take in a big breath of fresh air. So I've been experimenting with different kinds of equipment, Rashad, and I've had some successes. I've had some failures. I think I found another success. I recently purchased a pair of the Nuo Bells. It's spelled N-U-O Bell. It's a Swedish company, I guess. Nuo Bell adjustable dumbbells. They make two different kinds. I got the bigger of the two. One of the problems with them is even the bigger of the two, each one only goes to 80 in each hand, which is not a lot if you're very, very strong or you're looking for certain kinds of lifts where you can max out. But but I will say this. I have had all this time for the last few years. I actually got them 
well before the pandemic. I had the Bowflex ST1090s. Those are the Bowflex ones that have, they can go 90 in each hand, but they are not nearly as good as the Newabell. First of all, the Newabell has knurling in the actual gripping of the hand, of the handle, which is great. It feels like you're actually at the gym. And more to the point, you can just rotate the handle and it changes all of the weights. You can go uh, in five uh, pound increments. But the big one, Rashad, is that it doesn't matter what weight you put on the Bowflex ST1090s, 10 pounds or 90 pounds, Every time you pull the handle, the entire frame comes up. And if you put more weight, well, it's the entire frame plus more weight. So you have a long ass frame, even if it's just 10 or 15 pounds, it can make moving it around kind of awkward. The newer bells don't do that. If it's 10 pounds, it's just short amount of weight at the end of the knurling handing, handling and then so on from there. So the only time you're trying to move unwieldy dumbbells is if you're truly maxing out at the 80 pounds on each hand. So it's got a, a smooth grip, it's easy to change numbers, and they are proportionately sized to their weight in the way that they're supposed to be. There are gonna be a lot of places that you look that they're not gonna be in stock, but trust me, they will be back in stock every rotation in about 10 to 14 days. So just put your name on a list, you will get a heads up very quickly to get them. And then once I bought them, they were here in a week. They do retail a little bit expensive, um, for the 80 in each hand, it's 745 um, uh, US, so it's not cheap. But I think BC, that's a long, or BC, I'm sorry, Rashad, I apologize. I think, Rashad, that's a long-term investment. You got to get what's right for you. I have very much enjoyed the new adjustable dumbbells. See, I'm, I'm going to try it out because, like you said, man, being able to adjust in some home equipment is a must during these times, man, because you just never know what's going to happen. And you know, just being able to have that release, just be able to work out at your own home, being able to work out in general is, is huge for the mental. So I'm gonna look into that, man, and see if I can get these guns on swole once again. <laughs> I'm sure you. I'm sure you can. You in that? Uh, are you? Are you vegan? I, I can't ever remember if you're vegan, vegan, or like sort of vegan. Yeah, yeah, I'm a vegan. I'm a vegan. I don't. I don't eat any meat, man. I've been um, this way for three years now. And, and I'm vegan strong, man. I feel like I'm getting stronger as, as the, you know, the deeper I go into the whole veganism. I always tell people I never, you use the term vegan strong. I always tell folks I never want to have a situation where I'm selling shirts that say like Thomas strong. Because if you do that, <laughs> I mean, something fucking terrible happened to you. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? It's always like, it's always yeah. like uh, Atlanta yeah. strong. I don't know what happened in Atlanta, but something fucking terrible happened. You know. Yeah. Uh, all right, so, Rashad. Uh, anything to plug? Anything the folks should know about you before we go? No, that's about it, man. I appreciate you, uh, Luke, and uh, thank you for having me on, man. Well, I always appreciate talking to the UFC Hall of Famer Rashad Evans. Just a reminder to folks one more time, following tomorrow's main event live right here. Come back. I'll be hosting a post-fight ch- show. BC will be back on Monday, so don't worry about him. Uh, there you see all the social. You can follow us. Sugar Rashad Evans is the same in every place. My name differs between Twitter and Instagram. Morning Combat is the same everywhere. If you want to email the show, morningcombat at gmail.com is the place to be. That's for de- We didn't do dead wrong. We will do it again next week. So don't worry, but get them in for dead wrong. Get them in for the fan submissions on Wednesday. If you want to try Showtime for 30 days for free, you can do a free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, it's yours to go. And then if you want to do it for the next six months, uh, you go to show.com slash Bellator MMA, five bucks a month for the first six months. And then, of course, merch, store.show.com.
Okay, for Rashad Evans, for Brian Campbell, for Malka, for Showtime, for CBS Sports, I'm Luke Thomas. Thank you guys so much for watching. Enjoy the fights, and may all of your gains be loyal.